Let me explain, for those of you who might be tuning in maybe for the first time, uh, how our, our service goes. Uh, right from the beginning when we make the announcements, which are all about the body of Christ, uh, we go into the music section of what we're doing. And uh, we choose our music very carefully. We want to sing our doctrine. We want to sing our beliefs. So we want to have great tunes and memorable tunes, but we also want to be speaking of our faith uh, during that time where we worship him in song. Then we move from that to the sounding and the reading of Scripture. We worship him that way. And we move from the reading of Scripture to worshiping him in our giving. And, you know, we're kind of doing that remotely right now, but we're still worshiping God in our giving. Uh, then we move to worshiping God in explaining the foundations of our faith. And that's what the catechism is about. It's geared towards the kids. Uh, gives them a special time. They're part of the body as well. Uh, but it's also a reminder to the adults of uh, what are the foundational beliefs of, of what we are and, and who we are and the things that we express our faith in. Uh, now we're going to go into worshiping him in the preaching of the word. So I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 38 through 44 this morning. And I, want, I just want to talk to you for a minute because this is, this is uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, the traditional sermon for today is the triumphal entry, uh, and uh, I had considered that, but I, I want to talk to you about maybe something that's a bit more urgent on us, and, and we all know what situation we're in. The world has gone crazy. Uh, there's chaos all around us, and we're isolated, and we're, we're not doing the things that we're accustomed to doing, and so what, what does all this mean? What's going on? Uh, and there's some who might question what God is doing in all this, but uh, those of us who, who understand our scriptures know that God is sovereign over all this. For whatever reason, he has allowed this to happen. And so uh, it's upon us as believers, those who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, to examine what's going on around us and find out what purpose God may have in this. And yes, there is a purpose. Uh, God has done this in, intentionally. I'm not saying he caused the coronavirus but he's allowed it intentionally to go forward. So what do we do with this? Why is it happening? What is the purpose behind all this? And we're all thinking the same thing. And, and meanwhile, we're probably internalizing some of it as well. So we're in Luke, and it's by no coincidence that we arrive here. Uh, I believe God's sovereign over that as well. Uh, Jesus has been revealing himself. He revealed himself to the folks in Nazareth and because of the things he said, they wanted to kill him. Uh, so he went to Capernaum, uh, and it, it, the people in Capernaum accepted what he had to say. And because they accepted what Jesus was saying, accepted him for who he was and the truth of what he was saying, there was a miracle that was performed in Capernaum. Now, in Luke's chronology, um, that's the first of the miracles, and he delivers a demoniac, uh, somebody who has a demon, and in, in essence, I mean, we can make that about the demon. That's certainly something that happened, and we have to recognize that. But there's even more going on here, because in casting the demon out, uh, when we read that passage, we find out that that was somebody who was in the synagogue. That was somebody that was part of the family of God. And the message that Jesus sends with his very first miracle in Luke is that he's here to cleanse the religious people. He's here to clean up the people of God. We need to keep that in mind. Judgment begins with the house of God. 
It's very easy to think that judgment begins with all those people out there, that they need to be cleaned up, that they have problems, that we're in God's favor, but we don't want to make the same mistake they made in the first century and think that somehow we're clean when everyone else is not. So Jesus makes it clear that he's here to clean up his people, but that's not all he came to do. That's certainly one of the things he came to do. It's certainly one of the major things he came to do. And so today we're going to hear what his purpose is. We'll hear another part of his message, another part of why he came. And isn't that what's on all of our minds? What's going on around us? What's the purpose for all these things that are happening? And, and maybe in the middle of that, what is my purpose? What, 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 what part do I play in what's going on around me and how do I walk it out? So the, the title of our sermon today is A Secluded Place. This is part 10 of our ongoing series in Luke, uh, God's love for everyone. And we're going to see two aspects of Jesus' ministry today in this passage. In verses 38 through 41, we're going to see his power that happens in Capernaum. And in verses 42 through 44, we will see his purpose. And that happens, oddly enough, in a desolate place. So let's take a look at the power of Christ, starting with verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And verse 39, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when we look at this, it's easy to zero in on the healing, and that's certainly something that is spectacular, okay? But we don't want to miss the primary point of what's happening because Luke is building a case for who Christ is. And so we see Christ doing his healing. He casts out the demon uh, in Capernaum. Now he's in Peter's house and he heals the mother. But look at the result of the healing. We have to pay very careful attention to this. She is restored to service. Now, if we think about this with our Western minds, that might sound a little harsh, that Christ healed her just so that she could start waiting on the people in her house. But we got to look at this with an Eastern mind, with a first century Palestine perspective on what's going on. Because hospitality was something that was held in very, very high esteem and honor in that culture. And so Peter's mother-in-law the oldest woman in the house, the responsibility for hospitality would have fallen to her. She would have been devastated that she was not able to care for the people that were in her house because she was sick. And Jesus comes in and heals her, and she immediately goes back to doing what she's called to do, what she wants to do, is to honor her guests and honor her Father in heaven in the way she honors her guests. So, as, as she goes back into service, as she, begin, as she begins uh, serving Jesus Christ and the people that are with him, she, number one, heals, uh, honors the one who has healed her and also uh, honors her obligation for hospitality. She's a happy woman. She has been blessed beyond what she ever expected. And then we move on to verse 40 where it says, Now when the sun was setting... All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them 
and heal them. Now, once again, we, we need to recognize the fact that Jesus is healing people physically. That, that's an important thing. So he's making it very clear that he can heal people of their physical ailments. And, and again, we can make this all about faith and healing and how does this happen. And as soon as we go into that arena and begin analyzing these verses on the basis of faith, we've got to start asking ourselves some pretty serious questions. Whose faith caused this healing? Was it the people who were sick? They didn't really do anything. Was it the friends? They were the ones that brought the people there. It says nothing about the people saying that take me to Jesus, I can be healed. The friends. So was it the friend's faith? See, we, we, get, we get all wound up in how the faith is functioning so that we can get a healing, and we miss the point of why the healing's there. So we've got to look carefully at the big picture, even as we're looking at the small picture, because Jesus is in the process of revealing who he is and why he's came. So he's kind of already said that, but now he's establishing his authority. He's establishing his credentials. Can he heal? Of course he can heal. He's the son of God. He's God himself, fully man and fully God. But not everyone that Jesus goes to knows that he's the son of God and, and, and a man as well. So here in Capernaum, he begins to put that power and that presence on display. And listen carefully. He's not doing it to show people that he's right. He's not doing it to prove that he's the son of God. He doesn't have to prove anything. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh. He's telling everybody and giving them the evidence of who he is so that when he comes back, they have no excuse. Now, he did that in front of the people of Capernaum, and then the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to record all these things in such a manner that we read that they happened and we have no excuse. So there's not going to be any time when Jesus returns and he's coming back. There's not going to be a time that people go, well, I didn't know. Nobody told me. It's right there. It's in God's word. You reject him, you reject him for all eternity. And he establishes his credentials right here, right here in Capernaum. So he reveals his earthly power by healing many. He reveals his physical presence here on earth by healing all these, folks, all these people. And of course, word would spread from there. It would go out from Capernaum. I, I mean, people would be running all over the place. You hear what happened in my town yesterday. Did, did you hear what Jesus did? I, I mean, he did this thing with the demon and then he healed uh, Peter's uh, mother-in-law and, and then, then he healed everybody that we brought to him. He's got power. He has authority. So that's a lot, but, but there's more because having shown his power by physically healing all these people, Jesus is now going to demonstrate his authority over the spiritual world. He has shown his authority over the physical, tangible world, and now he's going to show his authority over the heavenlies, over, over Satan and over his demons. And so 
this takes us to the key phrase in this entire passage, maybe in this chapter, which is verse 41. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So again, you know, we've had this affirmation at the baptism. We had the first demon uh, all affirming that he's the Son of God. The demons know who Christ is. The question is, do the people who are listening to him, the question is, do the people that are reading these words, hearing this sermon, do they know who Christ is? So Jesus has got it out there. The demons are crying, don't make us go out. And, and he, he does it, they leave, and then he stops them from speaking. He has so much authority, he can say, don't talk anymore. And the reason he doesn't want to talk anymore is because Jesus hasn't revealed the full extent of who he is and what he's come to do yet, that will happen in God's timing, not in Satan's timing. So he stops the demons from preaching any more of the gospel that they've already preached. Hmm. Now I want you to take these two miracles and put them together. The healing, the physical healing of these people and the casting out of demons, and you see that Jesus has authority over the tangible world, but he's, he, he's a man who is the king of the world. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. But he has authority over the spiritual world as well. And what Jesus does in, in these short little verses here is he shows that he has power over all creation. He can heal physically, and he can heal spiritually. And if we understand the implications of all that, what Jesus is laying the foundation for is the fact that he is fully man and fully God. It's important to us today because only somebody who was fully a man could stand in and take the, the punishment for what we've done, take the penalty for our sin, and only someone who is fully God could introduce us into a new relationship with our Father in heaven. Jesus just establishes his credentials right here. And then Luke shows Jesus moving from Capernaum to what he calls a desolate place. And this is, why we're, this is where we're going to hear uh, why Jesus came, why he has all this power, and what his purpose is. Verse 42 says, And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. Now, uh, I like the NIV here for 42. It's a good translation as well. Uh, and it says, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Uh, some translations would call this a secluded place. Now, why is Jesus moving to a secluded place? I mean, those of us that feel like we always have to be doing something, uh, those of us that identify with our work, uh, those of us that feel guilty uh, when we're not accomplishing something, when we're not productive, might look at this and go, why is Jesus going to, doesn't he have a lot of people that need to be healing? Doesn't he have a lot of people that need to hear what he has to say? Shouldn't he be working hard to advance his message? Well, all of that's true, but Jesus has other priorities, and uh, and it shows up right here. And one of them is, I, I love this, you know, somebody came to me this week with a quote from R.C. Sproul. And what Sproul said is that this level of ministry, which is pretty intense, takes its toll 
on Jesus as a man. So we've already established he was fully man. Uh, and that physical body that was incarnate, that physical body that he inhabited, got hungry. And it got tired. And it needed food and rest. And Jesus found his rest in the presence of the Father. Now, there are eight times, one of the handouts that we sent out, uh, there are eight times specifically that Jesus goes to this solitary place, this secluded place, eight times in the Gospels, this desolate place, and it's usually to pray and to avoid the crowds, to, to have some downtime with his Father in heaven. Now, Jesus seeks his solitude because he needs it, because that part of him that is tired and weary and hungry needs to recharge and needs to reestablish an intimate communication with his Father in heaven. Now, Jesus isn't going to waste away, but again, he's trying to show us something about our walk. Because as busy as things get, Jesus knows that he needs time to rest. He needs time to be with the Father. If, if he's going to do everything he came to do, he needs that time with the Father. And you know what? We do too. If we're going to be everything that we're called to be in this, in this dreadful situation that we're in, we need time with the Father. We need our quiet time. We need to be reading our Bibles. We need to be praying. We need to calm our spirits. Get quiet before the Lord. Find our rest and our peace in him because we're not going to find it in the world today. Isn't it ironic that there's all this upheaval and all this confusion that's going on around us and nobody's really doing much? We're stuck at home. We can't come out. We can't do the things we normally do. And there are a lot of people that are suffering tension over this. Well, Jesus says the way to relieve that tension is time with the Father. He did it so that we could know that we should do it as well. So the pressures in the ministry were still upon him. The rest of verse 42, we see this. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. The people wanted him to stay. Of course they wanted him to stay. He's doing signs and wonders. He's teaching with this incredible authority. People have never heard people speak like this. He's not, he's not just teaching with authority, but he's able to be an orator with, that, that, that has impact on his people around him. They want him to stay. But Jesus knows something that maybe they haven't learned yet. He knows that the message of the gospel is not to remain stagnant. It's not going to stay in one place. It is intended to be circulated. It is intended to be shared. And to do that, the one who is going to share it has to go to the people that need to hear it. And again, it's an incredible lesson for us today. I mean, we have learned profoundly that the gospel is not here in this building. I mean, the building's empty. The gospel is out there in the community where the people in the community that need to hear it can hear it got to go to the people and you know what and we're, we're in a time when we have to creatively go to people we can't do it the normal way we would do it and I, I think God is beautifully challenging us to find new ways and to and, and new methods to share the gospel with people 
whoever thought that we'd be in a situation that we would be thankful for the digital church. Look at what's going on around us. We're finding ways to serve people that we would not have imagined before. And because of the situation, the circumstances itself are identifying people that need to be appreciated, need to know the love of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. And we're the ones that carry that message. We're the image bearers. So the people want Jesus to stay. Jesus says in verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. The purpose of Christ. We don't have to figure it out. It's right there. He tells us. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Just as an aside, uh, we're not quite sure why Luke uses the word Judea here. Uh, we're reasonably sure that he means the whole of Palestine in the first century. Just a curious word. So Jesus is sent to preach and teach and demonstrate the good news. His purpose is to bring and portray the gospel. Salvation through him alone by grace alone, by faith alone. And that gospel was not the exclusive domain of the people in the family of God. It was to be their proclamation. It was to be uh, what they shared and how they lived and what they spoke and how they did it. It's not even the exclusive gift of just his followers. The gospel is for everyone. I mean, isn't that what Jesus was doing? He chose them to do, the, he, he does all these things so that when he returns, he could say, I showed you, I told you. That's now our job, to show them, to tell them. Jesus' purpose was to preach the gospel everywhere he went. And the beautiful thing about this is, Jesus, he's not just doing it, he's setting the bar, he's setting the example one that has to do not just with his purpose, but with our purpose. So we look at the passage and we see the power of Christ to heal, uh, to cast out demons. We see his purpose, which is to bring the message of the gospel. And, and look what we've learned about Jesus here. He has this great authority. He has this great power. But the main points are not about healing and demons those are good points, but they're not the primary points. And the primary point is that his power can set people free. He can loose the shackles. He can divest them of the things that are binding them and holding them down and keeping them from coming closer to their father and being more accurate representations of his image. He can set people free. He can set people free of the evil import, uh, forces that impact our lives, both physical and spiritual. And what he's talking about, as we will find out as we go through Luke, is, is not just a, a temporal freeing, but an ultimate eternal freeing. 
Okay, so we, we, again, we need to be really careful what we do with passages like this because we could walk away thinking that Jesus is supposed to heal me. That's not what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, I have the power to heal. I have the power to cast out those evil things in your life, and I will use it if you will come to me and believe in me, and you will find that gift in eternity. She has the power to set people free eternally. And we see it everywhere he goes. Watch as we continue in Luke. Every time he teaches, he puts his teaching into action. He walks his walk, and he talks his talk, and they are in total harmony with each other. Every moment of Jesus' time is devoted to fulfilling the purpose for which he's been called. Hmm. So even just a casual reading of a passage like this should tell us that Jesus came to minister and to present God's kingdom. Oh, great. Profound. What, what does it have to do with us? What does it have to do with those who believe? How, how does this help us to understand our purpose in a world that looks like the one we're in today? Okay. First, we've got to realize that there is meaning and purpose in everything that's going on. And that there is meaning and purpose in our lives and what we've been called to do. Our lives and our purpose have not been put on hold because of a virus. As a matter of fact, God may be opening up opportunities that we've never seen before to portray and live the gospel. We may not find out in our time here everything that God's doing right now, but we do know this. This world is in trouble. And just as Peter's mother-in-law was in trouble, just as much as that man who was possessed by the demon was in trouble, Jesus can deliver them. That's the message here. There's salvation in Christ. So what does that have to do with our purpose? Well, we're told 11 times in the Gospels to, well, actually in the New Testament, to imitate Christ. God it calls us to be his disciples, to be like him. Paul says we need to imitate him four times. We are to walk in his purpose. We are to work hard at the calling that he's put upon us. And when we get weary, when we get hungry, we are to run to the Father. Find a secluded place to pray and to rest. Do you have that? Do you have a place to pray and to rest? Do you have a place of peace? Well, those of us that see Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior can find that. We just have to make up our minds to run to him. We have to make up our minds to to seek that out, to slow ourselves down, to calm ourselves before our Father in heaven. And if you're listening today and you don't have that peace, you don't have that place, you can. It's not complicated. Jesus didn't come to his people and say, you guys need to clean yourselves up before you can have a relationship with me. He cleansed them. He cleansed them. You can have that peace and that rest. The scripture says that you confess your sins. You repent. You go to him. 
Ask for forgiveness. Recognize him as Lord and Savior. And you'll have eternal life. But everything that comes with eternal life means eternal rest as well. Ponder these things. Consider them. We're about to go to the Lord's table. This is, this is historic. Wonder Bible Fellowship's never done communion like this before. I have people telling me that we shouldn't do communion like this. But you know what? We're the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ whether we're in this church or whether we're in our homes or whether we're out there in the world. There's nothing, there's nothing stopping us from expressing that unity that we have. We are not face-to-face right now. But you know what? There's going to come a time. It's going to come sooner than most people think that we are face-to-face. We'll gather again together in the sanctuary. But today we're not. But we're still the body of Christ and we can still honor him in the way that we meet. So if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I would invite you to get some bread and some juice. We've got some here. You can't come and have all. And let's just slow ourselves down for a moment and put our focus on Jesus. Now, if, if, if you're listening and you don't know Jesus Christ, but you're feeling that tug on your heart and you want to take part in this intimate meal that we have with our Lord and Savior, you can do it. You can say a simple prayer. Father, I've sinned. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. I repent. I recognize Jesus Christ as your son and my Lord and Savior. And I receive him as my Lord. And then you can take communion with us. And if you do that, I want you to contact us and let us know. But for now, we've got a crust of bread. And we have some juice. And for all of us, wherever you are, I'd just like you to bow your head for a moment. And the purpose of communion is to remember, remember the sacrifice that was made for us that enabled us to have this incredible unity, this incredible moment that though we are isolated, we are still one. So we're to remember that Jesus died on the cross so that we could do this. But we're also, and, and maybe this will become a reality for some folks right now in a way that it's never been real before. We're also the the remembrance and the participation in the body of Christ. So as he broke the bread, he said, this is my body. And and here we are, his body. Just take and eat. Now that was half of what communion was the breaking of the bread. And then we have this juice. The, the juice represents the blood that was shed. So the broken body is the sacrifice that was made so that we can become one with God. The blood that was shed is the cleansing. We're cleansed by the blood. We're made righteous. We're made holy so that we can come into the presence of God. So Jesus held out the cup and he said, this is my blood which was shed for you. It's shed for each of us. Take and drink. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you are a God that is sovereign over even the technology of the day that allows us to come together in this manner, Father, and, and perhaps uh, share the gospel in, in a manner that we never dreamed we would be doing. So we pray, Father, that you would open our eyes and see the opportunities around us. We thank you for your son who came down here and lived among us, lived a perfect life, and then gave that life up on the cross so that we might be restored back into a right relationship with you, Father. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for this season, Father, where we're reminded of that so vividly. Prepare our hearts for the service next week as we, as we celebrate the work that you did, the freedom that you offered on the cross of Christ. Meanwhile, Father, I pray blessings on those who are listening, the homes, Father, their families. I pray, Father, you protect us. I pray, Father, you provide for us. And I pray, Father, that each of us might have a heart that says, here we are, use us. And I pray this in Jesus' name.